welcome back to another episode with me, Harini, <laughs> and me, Megan Gessner. <sighs> Guys, it's been a week. <laughs> and it's been a week, but it's now, well, we're recording on a three-day yeah, weekend. That's true. Wait, do you, do you get tomorrow off? I do not. Okay. I had a feeling because you were talking about it like you didn't. And I was like, oh, yeah. that sucks. <laughs> yeah, I definitely actually have to present tomorrow. And they gave me 25 Ooh. minutes to present something. And I was like, bro, that's going to take two minutes. <laughs> I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> so I'm like, there's going to be a lot of discussion from the team. <laughs> yeah, like a two minutes speech, 23 minute interpretive dance. Exactly. <laughs> I, when you say interpretive dance, I just think of the Squidward when he was like, do, 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 do. Uh, at the talent show. Yeah, yeah. 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 I love it. <laughs> this is our first recording with me officially moved up. I have my mm -hmm. drink. Mm, ASMR. <laughs> Some mm -hmm. ASMR. <laughs> and uh, I'm in my little setup. So I'm excited. Yeah. I'm happy. I'm not have happy to, um... that I'm away from Megan, but I'm happy yeah. that I'm settled finally in a place that is my own same i i'm actually overjoyed that you guys are settling in it's your first full week that you spent it's crazy in the bay already we survived so yeah i was gonna say after we finish this recording give me a little house tour how <laughs> will if you're ready <laughs> i'm not ready <laughs> if you're but ready for I, it I, I can't, okay okay I can't. well no oh. <laughs> I, I was gonna say i um i facetimed Dave's parents the other day and for those mm. who don't know that that's my husband I FaceTime his parents because I noticed that Dave had not called his parents yet show the place to them mm. and I was mm -hmm. like, okay I'm gonna call them and show them around and I think mm -hmm. I kind of knew in the back of my mind like maybe I shouldn't be doing this because I start out the phone call with door closed in our room and secretly called mm. them and then I started to meander <laughs> across the whole apartment and then he yeah. gave me a look yeah, yeah. Like, who are you yapping with and I was like your parents mm. like, I told you not to show them the place <laughs> he's just like I don't want to show anybody until it's ready and I'm like oh come on finished okay. finished yeah yeah until it's finished no I I can totally understand that I mean in all fairness I don't think I had an official guest <laughs> over until like my place was 95 oh, yeah yeah you didn't even see the bare bones of when I was like first moving in so yeah. I get it so I'm sorry I've I kind of rushed no, you. No, no. Like I need to say I it now. I don't give a fuck. But yeah, we can we can do whatever. So I, I already showed you my mushroom disco ball. Actually, yesterday I think yeah, yesterday was Saturday, right? Yeah, so Saturday we mm -hmm. did a whole day. We went to San Francisco, me and Dave, and it was a gorgeous, gorgeous day in the city. And we just put on our best outfits. Actually, only I put on my best outfit. Dave was Dave was in like moving <laughs> gear. Um, <laughs> I was way overdressed. Like I was in I was in high boots, like my my like college boots. I love it. But anyways, yeah. so I looked great, and then <laughs> I like got all the stuff from Facebook Marketplace. And one of the things that I didn't tell Dave, I was like, hey, he's like, where are we going next? Because he was driving. I was like, um, we're gonna go to this place. This is the address. He's like, what are we picking up? I'm like, decor. <laughs> And he's like, okay, can you give me more info? And I was like, like oh, it's God. just decor. It's nothing nothing to worry about. And then when I came back with a yeah, full ear-to-ear yeah. -ear smile on my face with my mushroom disco ball, he's like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> I mean, it's so, like, it's really dope. Like, I'm quite envious of this item. And, you know, we could post a photo of it on Instagram or you can post a story yeah. or something. But, like... 
I don't know. I, I hope in in Dave's mind he's secretly like, okay, that's it fucking is cool. cool. And even if he doesn't cool. think it's cool, I think it's cool enough for the both of us. But <laughs> on the bottom, it does say because I got it from this girl who lives who lived in like a beautiful part of San Francisco, and she's just mm. exactly who you think she would be, like someone who would own this type of thing. I she opened the door and I was right. like, you live in a beautiful neighbor. She's like, yeah, I love this neighborhood. <laughs> and she's like, here you go, yeah. enjoy. And then just like that was it. I'm yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> and, and on the bottom of the mushroom, it says Disco Shroom Number One. Oh, okay. I'm gonna look up that brand. And, no, I think uh, she made it. Yeah, I think she, she made, made it because it. It, it's in her handwriting. That's really yeah. rad. Oh, that's rad. Oh, so Megan, oh, you can probably just do this as a DIY. Because after I grabbed it, I was like, I, I probably could have made this, <laughs> make my own. But whatever. Oh, like you like you can tell from the the weight of it that it's a little bit like it's got a weight to it. But um, I'm just thinking, I'm like, I could I could probably DIY this if I wanted to. But it's just she just did a yeah. really great job. Like I don't think I would have the energy yeah. and patience for that. But. Well, I mean, yeah, if you fool me like uh, like in photos, yeah. it's gonna look great. You know, no one's touching it That's through true. the screen, so still worth it every, every penny. penny. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that was that. <laughs> That had nothing to do with the story, I'm sure. So we can we can jump into it. Unless you had anything else to say, Megan. No, no. I'm ready Let's to do go. it. Let's do it. Okay. People, <laughs> boys and pals, if you guys forgot, this is a part two. So if you haven't listened to part one, mm-hmm. head on back one mm-hmm. episode. But if you're yep. ready, let's head into the story. All right, Megan. Yep. Thank you, Karini. So yes, this is part two of the Minamata disaster slash Minamata disease story. I'm going to do a real quick recap. Mm-hmm. I know Harini just said, go <laughs> listen to the first part, but yeah. I do think it's important to just do a quick recap. So the Minamata disaster was a 36-year-long poisoning of the fishing community of Minamata, Japan. It, this lasted from 1932 to 1968. A chemical factory in Minamata owned by the Chiso Corporation was polluting the Minamata Bay and Minamata River with industrial wastewater saturated with methyl mercury. Mm -hmm. This led to 2,265 victims being diagnosed with Minamata disease, which is a neurological disease caused by severe mercury poisoning. Between 1956 and 1959, an investigative unit was created in partnership with the city government and Kumamoto University to figure out the cause of this mystery pandemic that was sweeping through the community and impacting local wildlife. As I mentioned in the last episode, Minamata disease also has the local name of dancing cat fever because cats that were in the community also got mm-hmm. mercury, methyl mercury poisoning, and they would convulse and have epileptic episodes and drool and it would be like they're dancing and then they would die yes (laughs) the the dance of death that's horrible horrible anyways as a result of this um, investigation the chiso corporation is pretty much exposed for its negligent waste management practices and is pressured by both fishing commissions and victims of the poisoning to pay compensation Mm -hmm. for the harm they caused After being ordered by the Ministry of International Trade and Industry to reroute their wastewater back to the bay, so no Mm -hmm. longer in the river, the Chiso Corporation held a ceremony to showcase the installation. I didn't mention what it was called in Mm -hmm. the end of last episode, 
But the installation of a cyclator mm. or cyclator, I don't know. Some people like to pronounce yeah. that hard Y. But cyclator <laughs> purification yeah. system, which they claimed would bring a permanent end to the methylmercury release right. into the water. This was entirely false. The purifi- purification system was completely ineffective, and the Chuso Corporation knew mm. this. Because of the introduction of the cyclator, however... Many people in the community believe that the poisoning would finally come to an end, and it didn't. Yep. And so that is where yep, we left yep. off. Great recap. And before you get started, I was chuckling a little bit because after you said yeah. like the dance till you died thing, I'm like, the name of this episode could easily be Dance Till You Dead. And I'm just thinking of Heads Will Roll, the song. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's, um, according to Wikipedia, because you know how Wikipedia will always cover like pop culture references or whatever, there is mention of Minamata disease in Mm. certain songs and they use the terms like dancing fever or whatever and they like reference it. it Um, So you can look that up on the Wikipedia page. Um, (laughs) (laughs) If we don't get copyright, if this is not a copyright infringement, I was like, maybe we could call this episode Jellicle Cats. We could. We could. No, no, no. It's, we'll figure something out. Anyway. All right. So this is that's where we left off. And so I'm going to, you know, finish telling the story and the ultimate outcome of what happened with the Minamata victims and the Chiso Corporation. And then we'll talk a little bit about how there is a very similar poisoning that mm-hmm. happened in right. Canada to the First Nation, First Nation peoples of Grassy Narrows. And I kind of got this wrong last episode because I, I referenced it and I was mm-hmm. rushing. But the poisoning that happened in Grassy Narrows actually happened almost during the same time as the oh. Minamata poisoning in the 60s and 70s and is still having lasting impacts today. So Whoa. we'll talk about that once I wrap the, the J- Japan okay. story up. So it was in 1959 that they did this ceremony for the Cichlitter purification system. And... The time period between then, 1959, to the first legal action against Chiso Corporation in 1969 is called the 10 Years of Mm -hmm. Silence. And so I had mentioned in the last episode that Chiso did make some payments to fishing groups and to victims, but these were just like sympathy Mm -hmm. payments. It wasn't official litigation. So it's not until 1969 that there's a formal suit against the Chiso Corporation. All right. So we're entering this 10 years of silence. This was a period of time where the community was actually pretty active in trying to fight the Chiso Corporation. But because of that relationship that the corporation had with the town, so I, you know, again, referencing past episode, but um, because they had so much power over the town in terms of rebuilding the economy post-World War II, because of that relationship with the town, all the action or complaints that the victims had against the Chiso Corporation were pretty much silenced or paid off in very, very small amounts. Mm -hmm. During this period, local governments did surveys to test the level of, of organic mercury being released into the sea and found that the pollution had actually increased and spread so severely that it now impacted other island communities outside of the Minamata Mm. area. They even took hair samples from locals and found that there were levels greater than 50 ppm. Mm. What is that? Parts per million. million? Yeah. No, no. Sorry. (laughs) 
I knew it, but I was like, let me double check with Harini, who knows the measurements. <laughs> I don't know measurements. Um, so 50 parts per million. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. <laughs> yeah. 50 parts per million of mercury in their hair, which is the level at which people are more likely to experience mm-hmm. nerve damage. No good. So they took these hair samples and it was just like further proof that nothing was yeah. changing. In fact, things were getting Ugh. worse. And sadly, the results from these hair samples and these surveys were not even shared with the community or even the of participants course. of these <laughs> these tests. So it was like this knowledge existed, but no, like people that had the like the responsibility or the ability to mm-hmm. be like, this is something that we're researching and we know about this, like it just didn't come forward or, you know, higher powers weren't interested in listening it was also during this 10 years of silence that researchers and doctors discovered that minimata disease could be or is congenital Mm. they noticed an increase in infants being diagnosed with cerebral palsy and decided to re-examine them due to the similarities of their symptoms to adults who had the disease the minimata disease in many cases, the mothers of these children were not actual victims of Minamata disease themselves. Mm. So they, or they didn't display mm-hmm. the regular symptoms. Mm-hmm. So they didn't even believe that their child could be a victim. And that's why this wasn't discovered for a long time until yeah. like after um, the reexamination. Mm-hmm. In 1965, another outbreak of Minamata disease occurred in the Niigata prefecture impacting the community that lived along the Agano River. It was discovered that the polluting factory, called Showa Denko, also used a mercury catalyst in its chemical production, similar to the Chiso Corporation. The victims of the Showa Denko poisoning actually lived pretty far removed from the factory. And because of this physical distance, the factory did not have as much control and power in the community or city government. Mm. So because of that, the city government actually sided more so with the victims of the Niigata poisoning and were able to get a suit filed against the Shoadenko factory much faster Mm. than the Minamata victims could ever or experience, you know? So sad. So in some ways, the Niigata outbreak of... um, Minamata disease or the Minamata poisoning, Mm -hmm. which weirdly, I think this was just a time that Japan was, you know, it was expanding rapidly, flourishing economically and really digging into industrial growth. During the same time of the Niigata outbreak, there were two other unrelated disastrous pollutions that happened as well throughout Japan. And there's there's actually a term for these four, for the Minamata one, the Niigata one, and then the two other ones. And it's like the four big pollution disasters of Japan. <laughs> it's like an official thing that's known. Wow. Okay. But because of these events all happening simultaneously, that actually, you know, like in a, not bittersweet, but like it actually kind of helped the Minamata victims get noticed. Right. And people to actually want to come back and re-examine what was going on in the community re-examine how the victims were being treated over being treated and how the corporation was being favored. So now like because of all this and, you know, multiple parts of the country are being impacted by industrial development and chemical production. Yeah. Now people kind of care. Right. So that's that happened in 1965. Hmm. So in 1968, the Japanese government releases an official statement defining 
what Minamata disease is, its causative element, uh, methylmercury, and it also they all in the statement they also identified the direct culprit, which was the Chuso Corporation. Mm. So this this statement by the Japanese government is important because it's actually a huge relief to the victims who finally felt like they were heard mm. from a higher authority mm-hmm. and they're finally being recognized, um, you know, for what they're what they've been going through and th- what they've been fighting for kind of um, in silence these past yeah. 10 years. And it was nice to see that there's clear support th- um, towards like the Chiso Corporation needs to be held responsible. Yeah. So that's in 1968. What follows in the next five years are two separate extensive. Well, uh, yeah, two separate extensive arbitration and litigation battles between the victims who are supported by the Mutual Aid Society and versus the Chiso Corporation. What happens, and I'll explain this further, is the Mutual Aid Society pretty much is like, okay, we got your back. Anybody who feels like they're a victim of this Minamata poisoning mm-hmm. or you know has been impacted by the Chiso Corporation will help you out. Your options are you can go the arbitration route or you can go to the litigation group. Mm-hmm. And that's why I mean there's like two groups that come into creation because some people are like, okay, I'd rather just do the arbitration. Mm-hmm. And other people are like, no, I'm going to freaking right. sue this company. Right. So there's these two groups that are created in the next five years, like from 1969 to 1973. I know that's not five years, but like <laughs> you'll understand the timeline. Yeah. <laughs> um, it takes five years for both these things to be resolved. So like for the arbitration agreement to come to a close and for the litigation mm-hmm. to come to a close. But during this time, there is multiple protests and sit-ins by the victims. The reason why it took five years is because the victims were still not getting a good deal Jeez. from the Chiso Corporation. Like in the arbitration agreement, their original um, willingness to pay was like an extraordinary extraordinarily small number to the victims so that's why it took forever and they you know like i said they did protests they did sit-ins on the other side some of the victims were actually targeted and harassed Mm -hmm. by chiso affiliated people to dissuade them from you know pushing for more Mm -hmm. money or to even dissuade them from testify testifying so it was a very contentious five years after it came out that like okay chiso corporation you're responsible for this mess In 1970, during one part of the trial in the suit against Chiso, so this is the litigation side, the most important and compelling testimony was by that Dr. Hajime Hosokawa. Mm. This is the guy who did the test mm-hmm. on cats. And he spoke of his experiments. So like he finally unveiled Good. that he had done experiments on the cats that proved a direct connection between the factory wastewater and the disease. He spoke about how the company ordered him to halt his wow. experiments, how all his results and work were silenced. Mm-hmm. And he even spoke about how he had actually advised that they should not reroute their wastewater to the river, <laughs> yeah. but that was ultimately ignored. A lot of people from the Chiso side did come forward and gave really compelling evidence and important testimonies, but his was the one that like stood out the most because it proved that there was a direct evidence, you know, of them cause and effect Mm -hmm. and they chose to ignore it, like willingly chose to ignore and they could have done something, but they didn't. So that was in 1970 and 
not until 1973 is the litigation group victorious. Mm. Chiso Corporation is found guilty of being negligent in its practices and choosing to continue to contaminate the water supply despite knowing its impact. Chiso is ordered to make a make one-time payments of 18 million yen, yeah. which is about $66,000 mm-hmm. for each deceased patient and from 16 million to 18 million yen, which is 59,000 to $66,000 for each surviving patient. Okay. The total, yeah, the total compensation of 937 million yen, which is $3.4 million was the largest sum ever awarded by a Japanese court. Wow. Like so that is I think that's what it's implying. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I, didn't <laughs> I think that's spot. what it's implying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you're good. You're good. Which is interesting to me because I'm like, gosh, there are some high profile cases in the U.S. where like so much more money is given away, or like, not given away, but like maybe rightfully right, right. paid, right? Rightfully paid. But I'm like, maybe that's because the companies here are making oh, a dummy dude, amount of money. You know, I feel that given Japan's gdp today i feel like that's probably the largest sum ever awarded by a japanese court back then maybe i feel it might be okay i'll have to look into that good question (laughs) i mean i would assume so i mean also i just don't like it just sounds like one of those things where it's like growing pains as you said that was when they were Mm. started to boom industrially and they're like still trying to figure shit out maybe i honestly don't hear too much of that kind of stuff today like nowadays from them but i also could just not be like looking for it so I, I yeah. believe it if that was like the highest payout. Right. Also, it is there is a difference between settling out of court and in court. Yes. Like this was a result of a trial court, yeah. versus like, I'm sure a lot of companies probably pay out oh, yeah. of court. That's so true. maybe that could be a distinction mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. So that was huge win for the victims of the Minamata disaster in terms of finally getting a pretty decent chunk of change and being recognized uh, and she's so like being held responsible for their actions. What happens in terms of the actual pollution in 1977, there is a net installed around Minamata Bay to prevent toxic sludge and fish from contaminating other areas. Mm-hmm. 20 years later in 1997, this net is removed and the fish are declared safe to eat. So we can assume during that time, Chiso corporation did something or was ordered to, changed their waste management practices right. so that part is unclear but i'm it's like that that's definitely what happened mm-hmm. in 2004 the supreme court of japan rules that the national government was actually responsible for not preventing the spread of Minamata disease after mm-hmm. 1960 which makes sense because remember the ministry of international trade yeah. did kind of hinder the investigation by being like Oh, well, it could be these other Got sources it. instead. So I can see how that's that was a ruling that came out, you know, decades mm-hmm. later. To this day, there are still ongoing lawsuits between victims with congenital defects in Yikes. the Chiso Corporation and the Japanese government. So, you know, we do not live in Japan, mm-hmm. but this is something that is quite present wow. in their culture. Yeah. And this whole environmental disaster and poisoning is something that's it's the equivalent probably of the tylenol poisonings you know what i I mean like that sort of thing the same yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so that's this is like a huge part of their story 
that's that's it that's that's the wrap-up just and just being aware that people still struggle with the after effects today it's not yeah that part that part is particularly shitty i didn't realize that it's it can be passed down because that just sucks man like you're not like you could be so far removed from it like it's like time wise you know be born way later but still be suffering the consequences of something that happened years before you were even born one thing that i had found out of course after doing the first episode is there's actually a movie oh. that came out in 2020 called minamata starring johnny depp <laughs> and he actually plays a, it's a bio mm-hmm. biopic biopic i like to say biopic but ever since someone told me it's biopic i kind of like yeah, just yeah. say both biopic biopic, biopic of a famous photographer who actually did photo essays of the Minamata disaster. So he he has like these photo essays of people who, children who suffered with the congenital defects um, wow. at the time. He's actually, this particular photographer is quite famous in terms of spreading the news about the Minamata disaster throughout like the Western right, countries right. sort of thing, making it a globally known issue. And it's kind of un- it's unfair because I know there was a lot of other local photographers who did the work, yeah. but of course this he, he was yeah. a Westerner who did it, so he <laughs> he got the movie <laughs> made after him. But I guess in all fairness, he you know did expose it on a global right. level. His name was William Eugene Smith, right. an American photojournalist. His wife was actually right. Japanese, and he did a lot of photojournalism of World War II and of the Minamata disaster. And actually, during the time when he was documenting uh, what was going on in Minamata, he was attacked by Chiso employees, like a hit was put on him to a point where his vision was permanently damaged in one eye. He had like health impacts after the attack for the rest of his life. So like it is a kind of intriguing story, right? Like I would like to see the movie, but apparently this movie is not available available to stream anywhere in the US. I looked. You need to have like Amazon Prime uh, UK. Excuse me. <laughs> I thought I already subscribed through my Acorn yeah. TV. <laughs> I feel a suspicion that maybe because Johnny Depp plays the main character, that is why it's not streaming anywhere in the US. Oh, but I don't yeah. really know. Yeah, I don't really have thoughts on that. That's not that's not my mm-hmm. point of this yeah. particular episode. So, but I just wanted to share that there's there is a movie out there about this and the photographer who you know um documented it pretty that is thoroughly particularly so. evil i mean i don't know <clears throat> what the premise was <clears throat> behind it of like what they were trying to do like were they trying to kill right. him or like blind him or something but for him to like have loss of vision mm-hmm. when i as a photographer that yeah that is oh evil. that is like i didn't Wow, I did not think about that at all. I was just like, this guy was attacked. Yeah, like that's like the worst thing you could probably do to someone whose career is based on their eyeballs. Yeah. Wow, that's that's po that's yeah. poetic. Oh, in yeah, the most exactly. like fucked up so, way. I need to look Damn, into dude. this more. I'm curious now. Yeah, yeah. If you figure out a way to legally uh, <laughs> stream that, we'll do you it. know, let me know. Yeah. We could do a movie night somehow. <laughs> so that concludes the Minamata mm. story. I am going to talk about the what's happened yes. in Grassy Narrows, but I'm going to cheat. I'm taking the easy way out. I'm just going to read a slightly generous yes. excerpt. It's not the whole thing. Don't worry. I'm going to read a slightly generous excerpt from this fantastic article uh, off of CBC Canada News. And I would encourage you all to 
after listening to this, go and finish the rest of the article. This fair warning is very sad. So maybe we can lighten it at the end, but just a heads up. The article is called Children of the Poisoned River, and it is by Jody Porter. And so I'll just read up to a certain point, but I think that just like all of it's important, but I wanted to get to the point where they do make a direct connection Mm -hmm. to the Minamata poisoning and what happened Mm -hmm. in Grassy Narrows. Okay, here we go. Ezraya Akabi Coco Penance wanted help. That's all anyone knows for sure. The girl with the bright smile had just turned 14 when she left her family in Grassy Narrows First Nation in northwestern Ontario last spring in search of someone or something to ease her overwhelming grief. On April 17, 2016, Azraya was found dead in a wooded area just across the road from Lake of the Woods District Hospital in Kenora, Ontario, 90 kilometers south of Grassy Narrows. More than a year later, no one seems to know how she got there. Azraya's last interactions were with Ontario Provincial Police in Kenora and possibly staff at the hospital, where police say they dropped her off two days earlier. Police and hospital officials refused to answer questions about what happened that night. This past April, on the first anniversary of her death, Azraya's parents attended a vigil and wept quietly by the tree where their daughter's body was discovered. Candles flickered in the pink evening light, perfectly reflected in the still lake nearby. Anishinaabe grandmothers sang a traditional morning song, their drums echoing the rhythm of a heartbeat in the damp spring air. Ezraya's parents, Krista Akabi and Marlon Coco Penance, had arrived with a small group that marched through the streets of Kenora in the hope that the anniversary would add weight to their call for answers. Some of the people in the group carried homemade signs saying, Justice for, Ez- for Ezraya. They slowed traffic, demanding a coroner's inquest. We deserve to know the truth, said Azraya's friend, Kira Sinclair, who is 15. It may not bring her back, but it's our only way to cope with everyday life. Solving the mystery of Azraya's death has special urgency for young people in Grassy Narrows, who see her final days as the embodiment of an intergenerational tragedy unique to their community. In the 1960s and 70s, industrial pollution contaminated the water in Grassy Narrows. First Nations name it Asupich. Chosi Wagong with mercury. So this happened in the 1960s and the 70s, making it one of Canada's worst environmental disasters. The contamination in this community of about 1,000 residents has affected three generations. 90% of the population in Grassy Narrows experiences symptoms of mercury poisoning, which include neurological problems ranging from numbness in fingers and toes to seizures and cognitive delays according to a recent study by Mercury Specialists. Then there's the psychological stress of seeing your friends and family stricken with these problems. But health services are limited to a small nursing station, and mental health counseling on the reserve is nearly non-existent. Ezraya's friends believe her death was tied to her despair over the loss of her older brother Calvin, who had died from mercury poisoning in 2014. Quote, Knowing how Calvin died, we could all be dying. We probably are, already, and we don't know what's going to happen because nobody is helping, said Chana Loon, one of Azraya's cousins. Knowing that Calvin went through that, it makes everybody sad. Azraya took it the worst. Friends and family believe it was Azraya's quest for help in dealing with her grief that led her to Kenora. Her death has become an emblem of the social devastation that followed the environmental destruction at Grassy Narrows, leaving many to wonder, 
If a child's plea for help can go unanswered and the details of her death can remain hidden from her family, what hope is there of healing? During the 1960s and early 70s, the chemical plant at the Reed Paper Mill in Dryden, Ontario, which is upstream of Grassy Narrows, dumped 9,000 kilograms of mercury into the English Wabagoon River. The fish in the river were full of poison, and the people from Grassy Narrows, who relied on the fish as a staple in their diet, were full of it too. Once ingested, mercury never goes away. It bioaccumulates, meaning it passes from one generation to the next, from mother to child, through the placenta. 65-year-old Steve Fobister is among the hardest hit by the mercury poisoning in Grassy Narrows. A former chief, skilled hunter, and devoted advocate for his community, he now has his difficulty standing and swallowing. He leans heavily on a walker to shuffle through the tiny bungalow he shares with his daughter and her children. Mm. Even talking is a chore. Yeah. It often requires him to hold his lower jaw with his thumb to reduce the shaking long enough to form words. Fobister receives $250 a month, the lowest amount granted through the Mercury Disability Board. The payment, quote, doesn't even meet my nutritional needs, says Fobister. I can't afford anything that would give me some level of comfort. I suffer every day. The Disability Board was established in 1986 as part of a court settlement with Ontario and Canada and the two paper companies involved in the contamination. Neither the companies, the governments, nor the Disability Board has ever admitted that anyone at Grassy Narrows has been poisoned, only that some people experience symptoms of Minamata disease. The disease is named for the Japanese town where more than 100 people died after eating fish contaminated with mercury released into a lake, a bay, by a chemical plant in the 1950s. This is what really intrigued me Mm -hmm. about this article, and this is where I'll stop. Japanese scientists have been studying people at Grassy Narrows and neighboring Wabasimong First Nation for decades, and in 2014 urged the federal government to provide care and financial support to every resident in the two communities Mm. affected by mercury. The Japanese scientists who have already known and done the research and had their Mm -hmm. own disaster happen in their country are urging this other country people that are not even their own to be Mm -hmm. like, you need to provide them with the care and safety that they need. Craziness. It's crazy. So yeah, uh, there's, a lot more thank you for listening to that very generous excerpt but i encourage you all to go read it. it's children of the poison wow. river by jody porter it's just really fascinating and uh yeah yeah wow. any thoughts that is heartbreaking absolutely 90 percent of a whole community that lives there and that is extremely high where uh there's probably almost 100 percent rate of that being passed on as you said for three generations plus continuously going on i mean you just quoted something from 2014 you know some people dying from this mm-hmm. I, I just don't understand yeah. like how i don't understand and it vexes of that like what you were talking about the the grandfather can't even speak 250 dollars mm-hmm. i, I right. have no words that's just horrifying right. to even hear yeah it's one of those things where you know even the in the u.s i feel like it's well known that our indigenous communities mm. and in Canada first nations they yeah they're the most underrepresented right and it's just one of those things where you'll read articles like this time and time again 
and it just feels helpless. And I'm not saying that these people are helpless, but I like this is something that since high school, maybe even middle school, I've learned about and I'm like, I don't I don't know enough about Mm -hmm. how things work in terms of government aid and reservations and what that's all about to really know the reason why these people suffer besides like (laughs) you know our whole nation's history being based off of taking their land but it's just I think for me I feel like the only thing that we can do because I just consider myself I'm powerless ultimately Mm -hmm. we're just two people doing a podcast but the least I can do is like you know I came across this article very illuminating I'm like just share it Mm -hmm. you know we can put it in our notes but it's just one of those things where I'm like as you know as long as we talk about it which sounds so trite honestly as long as we talk about it but we had this discussion before of like we don't really have the actual power to make some change in some way i don't know what i'm trying to say but i just you know like yeah yeah I go mean, read this article i think sort this of is the yeah. i think this was something that we chatted about when we were talking about the burn pits and even with brayden when he came on the pod yeah. um and we i think we might have reiterated that to him when he was on it we're like you know like we're we're just two people on a pod talking to each other maybe some people are listening but I think Brayden voiced it best. He's just like, it doesn't matter like if even one person listens. That's one more person that now knows about this that didn't yesterday. So it's just about spreading the word out there. And maybe someone who has power and a bigger platform than us right now will initiate some change. Right. Yeah. That mm-hmm. is what had happened in Grassy Narrows and continues to wow. impact that community today. I'm going to finalize this episode with just kind of a tie off in terms of the science, because I remember in the first part, I had mentioned that researchers in Canada who are actually trying to help the those infected by Minamata disease in Grassy Narrows, they actually Mm -hmm. took a sample Mm -hmm. from a cat brain, um, one of like the cat that was tested on way back, not way back. Well, yeah, way back when Minamata disease was first being discovered in Japan. Okay. So I'm going to read a passage real quick from this um, shorter article, just kind of tie it all together. And then we will go into our antidotes. So here we go. So this is what's new in terms of the science around Minamata disease. And this is actually interesting. So just as a recap, remember, I've been saying when Minamata disease was discovered, it all fingers pointed to methylmercury poisoning. That was the the factor there that was a type of mercury poisoning that was causing Minamata disease but what's been discovered or what there I don't know if this is theory or it is now fact but what they found after looking at this particular this old sample of cat brain is that it might actually be a different type of mercury this whole time that was causing Minamata disease Mm -hmm. or the the symptoms of Minamata disease so um, here's from the article okay Until recently, scientists thought the poisoning in Japan was caused by the less toxic form of inorganic mercury, which was released from the plant and then turned into organic Mm. methylmercury when it was dumped in the water. James's research, this leading researcher who's Mm -hmm. doing the Grassy Narrows investigation, um, 
What's happening there? James's research, completed with co-author Susan Nazati and other researchers, concludes that the Japanese poisoning was caused by a completely different type of organic mercury that was discharged directly from the plant in a deadly chemical form. The discovery was made using the Stanford synchrotron radiation light source, an extremely powerful x-ray in California. Quote, the product that we actually think was produced is something called alpha mercury acid aldehyde, which is known chemically like we know the structure of it, but there is nothing known about it in terms of toxicology. Mm -hmm. Like how would it affect you if you consume it? Said James. She said the findings could help provide those answers. James hopes it can help medical scientists develop better treatment for an illness that continues to cause harm in Canada and other parts of the world. If you were poisoned with mercury, you'd go to the hospital and they would give you a substance which kind of binds up the mercury and then you would eliminate it out of your body, says James. So if we can understand better how it works in your body, what it binds to, what those molecules look like, we can hopefully advance knowledge and possibly lead to something better in terms of treatment. So... To summarize, they found this alpha mercury acid aldehyde. They believe that's mm-hmm. what's really causing Minamata disease. But yeah, and, and that's beneficial because then we can pinpoint more effective methods of like how to right. help people wow. with Minamata disease. That's so cool. That's, pretty much it. that's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, when I say cool, I think it's really awesome that scientists in general or the, the scientific community, they don't ever take things at face value you know like they have to do their own research they're like okay that's cool but like i want to know for myself you know so let me actually do a whole investigation and actually see if this is true if this theory or fact quote unquote fact holds up and then that's how you find more information about things and and science changes that's why science is always ever evolving so that's really cool that's pretty rad because like i'm almost like oh it's kind of like this weird wormhole of knowledge in terms of like Mm -hmm. okay so you had this one event happen decades ago but as we've advanced we can figure out more information about this uh, this uh, situation that happened decades ago but we wouldn't have been able to advance if this didn't happen in the past (laughs) like it's this weird like cycle yeah yeah because i think you're done right i'm done yeah 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 yeah. i was just gonna say (laughs) now like hearing the whole story in its entirety yeah when you first started this story and you're like oh this is like minimata disease and it's with the cats and everything yeah yeah. where are we gonna go (laughs) with this story right and this whole it kind of develops and unfolds i don't want to say beautifully but in Mm -hmm. a very like eye-opening illuminating mm-hmm. way because it starts out in japan in this one area mm-hmm. and then you don't even expect it to right. cross paths with mm-hmm. first nations people all the way over in canada yeah it's just yeah. wild and then it still has roots even today of what's going right. on like it's still unfortunately relevant but mm-hmm. there seems to be a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel yeah absolutely and i think the poisonings that have happened in canada and japan are the most well-known and largest Mm -hmm. poisonings Mm -hmm. i for my own sake i'm like where else is minimata disease popping up like which countries are impacted does it does you know it's a country stage of growth obviously have um some role to play in terms of you know waste management practices so yeah i'm gonna because when you look up minimata disease like again even just like a cursory glance at their wikipedia page it really only details what happened in japan 
Okay. And so yeah. it doesn't, I don't think it lists like, this is where other cases, other areas have popped up Yeah. with Minamata disease. So I want to see, look into that. Cause I'm like anywhere that where there can be the possibility of industrial pollution, right. you could have Minamata disease and it all depends on how that plant is processing their compounds. If it involves like mercury catalysts or something like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sure it's happened elsewhere. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Great job, Megan. I know that Thank was you. a ton of research and you for poison pals. If you guys have never done stuff like this before, it is hard to not only like say a whole story, which has a ton of research, but also trying to figure out the format of like how you want it to flow. Yeah. So Megan, you did a fantastic job. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Okay. Let's we can uh, do antidotes. Antidotes. Um, I honestly think my antidote is um you know, cheers to a new chapter of life. Move to yeah, the yeah. bay. And mm-hmm. I'm just happy about my mushroom. <laughs> That's my antidote. The mushroom. My disco mushroom shroom disco mushroom. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, what's your yeah. official word for it? it I think I'm going to go with it. She calls it the disco shroom. Which I love I'm that like, disco yeah, shroom. It's a disco yeah. shroom. So, yeah, I love it. Love yeah. I, I had been calling it just a very literally like, oh, it's a mushroom disco ball. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It but, it's is. A di- but disco shroom is so much better. Yeah. I love and- it. I, I was going to say, like, I wanted to screenshot this to you, Megan, and send it to you. But after I clicked on this once, like, so this was on a Facebook Marketplace ad. I clicked mm. on this mushroom disco ball once. And then mm. the next time I refreshed my Facebook Marketplace, it was full of disco balls. Uh, <laughs> like, all right, the algorithm that. is working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, this girl wants a disco ball. Take them <laughs> right. all. My antidote is that it is a three-day weekend. Um, it's We're recording on President's Day weekend. So I'm happy to have tomorrow off. And my second part of that antidote, I told this to Harini prior to recording, but one of my cats finally climbed all the way up this cat tree. Um, And if you can imagine it, Poison Pals, the cat tree is a floor to ceiling cat tree. And it's not massive in terms of width, but it's just like tall, right? They can Mm -hmm. just go up, 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 up to the ceiling. (laughs) And only one of my cats had been utilizing it she's a great climber she's all about that shit but my other mm. cat would just play at the base never once taking a step on any of the platforms and then today he just went straight to the top so didn't awesome. even go to the third step or the second step first he's just like i'm going all the way up he went for um, it he went for it and um he's just been using it like crazy <laughs> since today yeah so i i, I like will hear him like jumping up and down it um so awesome so i just thought that was really cute and he won't like stepwise go down he'll just go from zero to 16 just like jump from the top all the way to the floor um so the first time yes it was just zero to 60 like because the (laughs) pole part of it is just really tight twine so he can you know put his nails in that but um now that he's getting used to it he's like putting it together that oh i can step on the actual steps as i descend and ascend (laughs) instead of like just dig my nails into the pole all the way up but yeah he's um he's napping on it right now he found his special spot i love it (laughs) that's that's the best when your kids actually utilize the the toys that you give them yeah I'm real happy about that because yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're a cat owner who owns cat trees, you know cat trees are honestly too expensive for what they are. <laughs> I I want to give credit to the people who make cat trees 
I even told Phil, I was like, this shit's so expensive. And he's like, there's a yeah. lot of craft that goes into making cat trees. Mm. I'm like, damn, that's really kind of you, Phil. But whenever <laughs> I buy a cat tree, it, I'm like, it's just a really, really firm cardboard pole in the middle that's just mm. wrapped in fucking twine. Like, I really? don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there are some great cra- cat tree craftsmen and women out there. But uh, wow, cat craft tree craftsmen. That's just like... <laughs> That's, yeah, I know. Say that uh, seventy times fast. <laughs> that could be the title, but we won't do that. No, no, no. <laughs> All right. It well, <laughs> no, too long. All right, um, take us out. All right, folks. What did I say last time? I said dancing cat biscuit. I don't well, even remember. Did I even do one last time? I don't even know. You I'll did. Have to re-listen. You did do one, but it was yeah. something like we said specific in that episode. For sure. For sure. I will go with. Don't risk it mm. for that cat brain biscuit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> oh, my God. You'll get more than Minamata disease if you Oh, yeah. That. Just, uh, yes. Uh, that would be a very <laughs> um, lumpy biscuit. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I thought you were... My brain went the other direction. I thought you were going to say, that would make a great superhero origin story. Um. <laughs> I don't know where that came from in my brain. That's you. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right, boys and pals. We'll catch you next time. Peace. Bye.